As we're about to pray this session in, please join me in prayer as we stand this morning. Please join me in prayer and just bow your heads. Dear Heavenly Father, God, I thank you, Lord, for the word that you've given me. Holy Spirit, I pray that as my mouth opens up, let it be your word that comes out. Your word with the power to bring life. Your word with the power to bring healing, bring a new beginning, a new destiny. Holy Spirit, I pray that those in the crowd can open up their hearts to receive your word, that they might act upon it. In Jesus' mighty name, everybody said, amen. amen. We'll stand as we read our opening. You guys are like, I gotta sit down. Those seats are nice. They're very nice seats, don't get me wrong. But please remain standing as we open up this sermon with scripture found in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 11, verses 21 through 22. Please repeat, or please join me along. When a strong man, everybody say strong man. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own place, his goods are in peace. But when a man stronger than he comes upon him and overcomes him, he takes from him all his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoils. So the title of my sermon this morning, for those taking notes and want to get Chick-fil-A in heaven, is called The Makings of a Strong Man. You may be seated this morning. You may be seated. Thank you so much. The Makings of a Strong Man. The verse we just read in Luke was Jesus' answer to the Pharisees who said the only reason he's able to cast out demons is because he's filled by the prince of demons. That's what they were saying. You're only doing good because you're filled with bad. It didn't make any sense. Jesus responds to their crazy statement and essentially tells them the only way someone would want to give up their house and goods is if they were forced to do so by somebody stronger. Jesus says the only way a demon would leave is if he was forced to do so by someone who had more authority than him by a strong man church I got to tell you this morning Jesus Christ is the strong man he may have been compassionate but don't con uh, confuse that as weakness he was not weak he was strong when we live a life with Jesus we become strong we have authority when we live a life without Jesus we become just another man just another woman who's unable to move against the flow of culture I got to tell you it takes no effort for a salmon to flow downstream in fact, even a dead salmon can flow downstream. But it takes a strong salmon to go against culture. You see, people who are bound, oppressed, and harassed by the ruler of this present world. There are only, little theology lesson for you, there's only two people in all of scripture whom Jesus gives the title of ruler to. The first one is God, Yahweh, our Heavenly Father. I'm sure we all knew that. But in John 12, 31, Jesus calls Satan the ruler of this present world. Make no mistake, Jesus says there are legitimate spiritual forces at work against us that seek to destroy us, and Jesus says they're strong. But Jesus also says there's a strong man who's stronger. Oh, come on, Dream City Church, this is gonna be good this morning. See, the world that we know it is crying out for justice, crying out for righteousness, crying out for deliverance to be set free from the oppression in place. The world is in need of a strong man. What the world needs today is not just another man who is strong, but a strong man. A man who knows where strength comes from. A man who is strong in season and out of season. A man who is led by God and not led by himself. God is looking for a strong man. And that leads me into point number one this morning. Point number one is hard times create strong men. Point number one is hard times create strong men. Now, this phrase has picked up steam in recent years as the title of a book written by a man named Stephen Arneo called Hard Times Create Strong Men. Has anybody heard of that book yet? Hard Times Create Strong Men? I recommend all of our men in here read it. It has impacted my life. But the phrase hard times create strong men, it's actually a, it's a, it's a little segment of a cycle that this author quotes. The cycle goes that strong men will create good times. Good times will make weak men. 
Weak men will make hard times. Hard times will make strong men. That it's a cycle. This is a pattern the author claims has been around since the modern age, but if I'm being honest, I would argue that it's been around in biblical times. One of the greatest examples of this is found in Judges 13 with the story of a man named Samson. How many of you guys have heard of a man named Samson in the Bible? A lot of us know about him, but if we really dissected the story about what it means to be a strong man. The story begins by letting us know that Judges in Judges 13.1, that Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord delivered them into the hand of the Philistines for 40 years. That they were now owned and oppressed by their enemies. That since the Israelites didn't obey God, since they squandered the good times, it created hard times. Since they abandoned the blessed life Joshua had left for them, and they abandoned God, they were now oppressed by the Philistines. That times were now hard. But I gotta tell you, church, I take solace in hard times because I know what hard times create. I know exactly what a hard time will do for people. In the story of Samson, the land was being oppressed by ungodly people who glorified ungodly things. Does that sound a little familiar, church? A land of ungodly people glorifying ungodly things. Uh, you know, not to get personal, but we had a completely transgender homosexual rally at the White House, glorifying it, calling them some of the most courageous people for what they're doing. I gotta tell you, church, make no mistake, there are ungodly people who will glorify ungodly things then as we do now. See, the Philistines were no friends to the people of God and sought to enslave them, sought to own them, sought to control them, sought to be in their business. Sounds a little bit like the spirit of the world today, if I'm being honest. But God calls forth a barren woman and tells her that she is going to bear a son. But not just any son, a Nazarite from the moment he's conceived in the womb. A devout man of God, a strong man. So needless to say, Samson was a big deal. I'm sure a lot of us have heard the stories where he defeated a thousand Philistines with the jawbone of a donkey. He ripped apart iron gates that held Philistine open and put them on top of the hill. He was known by many people as the deliverer and he became the judge of Israel for 20 years. Samson was strong in the literal sense. And he was strong in the symbolic sense. He was strong in his own life and he was strong for the people. You see, the spirit of God rested upon Samson due to his Nazarite vow, which meant he couldn't touch anything dead, drink any wine, or cut his hair. Nazarites had to be fully devoted to God and not make any personal deals against God. They had to be fully devoted in every area, both big and small. But some of us know in here who've read the story, we know that Samson was anything but fully devoted to God. Samson had problems with his relationship with his dad, with women or with lust, with alcohol, with pride. Problems that men and women still face today. Except rather than going to God with these issues and allowing God to heal him, Samson thought to deal with them himself. Samson thought his own strength, his own might could save him. He thought his actions could free himself. He thought he could be the answer to his problems. That if he just dealt with it by himself, he would eventually overcome it all by his own strength. You see, church, sometimes we are the reason why our times are hard. Because we don't invite any help in. I gotta tell you, sometimes we are the reasons why we make our lives hard because we don't even ask for help. We're never meant to do life alone. The very first thing God ever said wasn't good in all of scripture was that man was alone. Even Jesus Christ, who is fully God, had a team of people around him who he would ask to pray for them. When Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane, about to go to Passion Week, he asked Peter, a human, to pray for God. God, Jesus had angels 
around him that would pray for him. Jesus understood the power of going to people. You see, sometimes the hard times reveal not just who's with us, but if we're with them. The hard times reveal to us what we're carrying alone that we aren't supposed to. You see, Samson did it his way, all by himself, and it cost him everything. One of the saddest traits about men is that we pride ourselves in not needing help from anyone else, and it causes us to live with dysfunction and brokenness. Literally, as a man, I take pride in not needing to ask for directions on where I'm driving to. As a man, it is my survival and wilderness instincts that if you put me in a plot of land blindfolded, I'd not only find my way home, I'd get food along the way. I come home with some Chick-fil-A. Come on, somebody. But what's crazy is there's no mention in Scripture that when I'm in heaven, Jesus will give me a crown that says, Ash, you managed to make it to the Cheesecake Factory without asking Siri for directions. That's pretty impressive. That's not in Scripture. Yet there's a piece of me that seeks to prove it to myself that I have what it takes by myself. Now, as mundane as that example was, it's just a microcosm of the truth. Men put themselves against themselves to prove something they didn't need to prove. Samson did it his way all by himself, but it cost him everything. You see, a song that, uh, that I like that perfectly encapsulates this trait of men is a song, My Way by Frank Sinatra. Anybody ever heard that song, My Way by Frank Sinatra? It's a classic. It just ends with Frank in his little hat going, and I did it my way. Bum, bum, bum. Hey, come on, church. I'm trying out for the worship team. Pastor Adam, yeah, Pastor Adam, he knows. He knows what's up. I did it my way. Frank Sinatra was obsessed with trying to prove to people that he was a self-made man as if that degraded what he produced. No one looks at the song My Way and says, wow, he really did himself. He mixed the music. He went and built his own recording studio. Nobody thinks that way. You see, oftentimes we reduce as men the fruit that we produce because we ask for help. That doesn't make any sense. You see, the problem with the song My Way is it's become the anthem to a lot of destruction in the lives of men. Men, sometimes we don't want to open ourselves up because it might expose weakness and damage our ego. It might cost us some street cred. It might ruin a business or or relationship opportunity that we're seeking for ourselves. If we were to share the truth of what we're going through, well, then maybe they wouldn't look favorably upon me, so we just keep it inside and we struggle in silence with ourselves. And eventually we're overcome by it since we can't do it on our own. The main problem I have in my life is that wherever I go, I'm there with me. I found that my greatest enemy is my inner me. All the regrets, all the struggles, all the shames, all the problems in my life tend to always start in the same place, myself. And yet we end up doing what Samson did by trying to fix it ourselves and not including other people in it by not seeking to bother God with our lives. It's like, you know, I remember when I was graduating college, I was talking to one of my friends. I was like, bro, what are you gonna do after college? You know, you're gonna intern for this company, intern over there. And he's like, no, dude, I'm just gonna take a year to like find myself, you know? Like, I just need to find myself. And I was like looking at him, I was like, find yourself. What are you talking about? They're right here. I began to think like, what if I told my dad this? I got home after college, son, what are you going to do? You're going to go to business, college, Bible school? I was like, dad, I'm taking a year off to find myself. I can just imagine my dad looking at me like, find yourself. You're right here. I found you. Unemployed in my house. There you are. I found you already. I found exactly who you are. We have a lot of people seeking to find themselves, trying to escape and find a better life, only to realize that wherever they go, there they are with them. They never understood that their greatest enemy quite possibly could have been their inner me. 
You see, one of the greatest lies the devil ever sold to humanity was that we can't bother God. That we, that we can bother God when we speak to him. You know, like if, if it's a sin we brought up before that he'll be like, ah, oh, I don't want to deal with you right now. That he's some judgmental, angry, you know, uh, smiter in the sky. The greatest lie Satan told us was that God's mercies don't renew every day. That God can run out of grace. Now, it doesn't mean we live in sin because God's given us grace. But it doesn't mean we can't stop going to him. I've always found that when I have a problem with my inner me, I can't be the one to solve it. I have to go to an altar. I have to go and, and just encroach God and say, God, please examine my heart. Please show me what it is that is keeping me from being all out to you. You see, Samson's dad never properly addressed the issues in Samson. He gave in to him all the time, probably because he was so freakishly huge and strong. And so Samson grew up not knowing how to address any issues in his life. Church, I've got to tell you why the Holy Spirit is so important is because he guides us in this life and we have blind spots. I'm that guy who when a photo's taken of me, I'm like, I look great. I'm like, God, it took you six days to make man and it took you right now to perfect it. Come on, somebody. That's just like my natural man's ego. And thank God for my wife who's like, Ash, you have food in your teeth. And I'm like, I was saving it for later. I'm like, people should understand that principle. That literally, as a man, we can develop blind spots. And how true, both in the physical sense, but spiritually, I can have blind spots that, it, you know, I'll be, I'll be arguing with Aubrey and I'll be like, you know, that's it, Aubrey, I'm going to pray because I'm the holy man of God. I'm like, God, I can't believe it. Did you see what Aubrey said? And the Holy Spirit's like, yeah, I agree with her. And I'm like, what? What happened to the bro code, dude? You're leaving me out to try. And the Holy Spirit will convict me time and time again. I just come in like, maybe I was praying and I'm, I'm stupid. And she's like, mm-hmm. You're just figuring that out now? She's like, was born with extra attitude. It's hilarious. And I'm like, baby, I'm so sorry. Can you please forgive me? And she'll say, how did you come to this conclusion? And I'll say, I went to God to complain about you, but he was on your side. And she was like, he always is. And it's true, it's true to this day. Yeah, you're applauding. Yeah, it's true, though. Literally, I develop blind spots. And we see this in scripture, Psalm 119, 105, where my areas are blind or dark, scripture says, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Because I read the Bible, because I have prayer with God, it enables him to show me the areas that have become dark. You haven't bought your wife flowers. You haven't called your mom and dad. You've actually been living with this thing, this bitterness, this sin that you have to get rid of. If I didn't have that relationship with the Holy Spirit, with God, well, then I'd live with those forever. And my enemy would be my inner me. You see, Samson never knew how to surrender his will to God's, and it caused him a long list of mistakes and missed opportunities. See, we don't live this life by our strength because our strength has limits. We're created beings. I was made, I'm a creation, therefore my strength has limits. It's the laws of creation. But the God who made me, the uncaused cause, the creator, doesn't have to live by the same limits. When I put my strength in God, it's limitless. When I put my strength in myself, it is limited. See, I gotta tell you, nothing's impossible with God. His hand is not too short. But sometimes we have to understand that the hard times are meant to break us down and cause us to work harder, but to get us to realize that we can't do it without God. I gotta tell you, the key behind hard times making strong men is that hard times cause us to depend on God and we get a strength that knows no bounds. Dream City Church, I rejoice in hard times because it allows me to see how strong my God is. Can I get a quick amen this morning? Dream City Church, Dream City Church. So the story of Samson's life continues that he was eventually overcome with temptation for a Philistine woman named Delilah who would end up selling him out to the Philistines for money. 
So what's crazy is Samson had fallen in love with the enemy. There was something about the enemy that although was destructive, was alluring to him at the same time, and ended up being in relationship with a woman named Delilah. A woman named Delilah who was wearing Victoria's Secret, but she wasn't keeping it a secret. Come on, somebody. That was the type of woman she was. And every single night when they were, uh, you know, in the, in the room together, she would always ask him for his secrets in exchange, well, you guessed it, for Victoria's Secrets. I'm not needing to go into detail on that. I need to go into detail on that. But every night she would say, what's the secret to your strength? And if I'm Samson, I'm like, dude, okay, come on, Samson, you got to realize this. Like one, why would she ask that? And then two, if she ever acted on it, you'd know that she's a psycho and you got to get out of there. It doesn't matter how good looking she is. So it's like, she's like, what's the secret? And he's like, well, if it's ropes that have never been tethered or torn, I can't break free from him. So that night she puts ropes on him. It's like, Samson, the Philistines are coming. And he like, Psh, just breaks out of him without a sweat. I'm like, Samson, dude, she just took advantage of you. Get out of there. But Samson was a strong man who did it all by himself. He truly thought there was nothing he couldn't handle. And the story goes that eventually Samson's own strength wore down. And he told her his secret that his strength came from God since he was a Nazarite. And that should his vow be broken and he cut his hair, God would leave him. So that night she cut off his hair, bound him in ropes, told him the Philistines were coming and he couldn't escape. And the Philistines dragged him out, took out his eyeballs, made him grind their grain, and made him a trophy for the Philistines. Samson tried all he could in his life to be strong and succeed, but it ended up he was blinded, ashamed, and bound to his enemies. Friends, I gotta tell you, when you try and do it yourself, you'll become blind to areas you didn't know you had to fix, ashamed that you're dealing with sin, and you'll become bound to them. The amount of times that I come to the altars, I'm so thankful that people say, man, I'm, I'm, I'm attached to alcohol. I'm blind, I didn't know, I, had, I hadn't forgiven my dad. I'm so ashamed I'm caught up in pornography. That the same attacks the devil used against Samson might be the same attacks he's trying to use against you, but we have a way out. His name is Jesus Christ, and he's a strong man. Come on, somebody. But what I love so much about our God is this verse, which is right here in Judges 16.22. While Samson was bound in prison, Judges 16.22, but the hair on his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. Dream City Church, that's a word for someone this morning. We may have been scarred. The Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We may have had a moment that cut our hair. We may have had a moment where we fell short. We may have had a moment where we were living in our own light and our hair was cut off. But friends, let me tell you, God's already making a way for that hair to grow back and for us to see a miracle again in the house of God, in the house of God. That even though Samson had abandoned God, God had never abandoned Samson. 2 Chronicles 16.9 says that the eyes of the Lord go to and fro, searching throughout the whole earth to see who he might make himself strong upon for those hearts who are loyal to him. I gotta tell you, if you find yourself away from God, the easiest way to find God again is to turn your heart towards him and watch the hair begin to grow back on your head. God's always right there, ready and waiting for us to have our hearts return to him. See, we're gonna pick up the story of Samson in Judges 16, verses 26 and 28. Samson said to the servant who held his hand, put me where I can feel the pillars that support the temple so that I may lean against them. And the temple was crowded with men and women. All the rulers of the Philistines were there and on the roof were about 3,000 men and women watching Samson perform. Then Samson prayed to the Lord, sovereign Lord, remember me. Please God, strengthen me just once more and let me with one blow get revenge on the Philistines from my two eyes. The Bible records that Samson pushed with all of his might and toppled the entire temple and his death. In his death, he managed to kill more Philistines than when he was alive. 
That literally when Samson finally surrendered his strength to God, he was able to break free and achieve his biggest accomplishments. The strongest man in the Bible, when he said, I'm not strong enough, did something even greater than he did when he was piloting his own life. Friends, I gotta tell you, it's the same thing today. You may have muscles, you may have a lot of money, but when you surrender to God, you will do even greater things. You see, hard times create strong men because hard times cause men to surrender their own strength for God's, to surrender our will for what Jesus asked of us. We all talk about dad strength, and I'm very excited to be a dad because I've heard that when you become a dad, you get supernatural strength, and I've got some goals in the weight room. We all talk about dad strength. I'm gonna tell you, there's no stronger dad, no stronger heavenly person than our father in heaven. Now, that's a lighthearted analogy, but it's so true. You will not find real strength until you encounter the strength of your father in heaven. Oh, come on, Dream City Church. Give me a quick amen this morning. Give me a quick amen this morning. You see, it's not the strength of the man of God, but the strength of the God of the man. I think oftentimes we kind of read into our own press, and not that it's a bad thing for us to do good things and to understand the good that we do. We have to understand that it's not the strength of the man of God, but the strength of the God of the man. I would rather be an ordinary man who serves an extraordinary God than an extraordinary man who serves an ordinary God. Because God can make even the most ordinary person extraordinary. Did you know that? I would rather be a regular Joe who serves Almighty God than an incredible man with no God. Because the Almighty God can make me even more almighty than the best person on earth. I would rather be an ordinary man with an extraordinary God. Because an extraordinary God turns the most ordinary man into an extraordinary one. It's not rocket science church. What type of God do you have in heaven? Do you serve an extraordinary God? Or do you serve a God of the person who looks back at you in the mirror? He says, if I need something done, this is the person who's gonna do it. Friends, if you're not living in a, an extraordinary life, well, I gotta ask you, what's your view of the God that you serve? Because when I view an extraordinary God, I see extraordinary things come to pass. It was when Samson humbled himself that he was able to do his biggest work for the Lord. It was when Samson realized that it was too hard that he had to become strong in God. That's why Paul says in 2 Corinthians 12, when I'm weak, then I am strong. The strength of a man is rarely found in the size of his biceps, the type of car he drives, how much money he has. It comes from something in above himself. It comes from a strong man who is named Jesus Christ. If we wanna be strong, we need to truly allow God to search our hearts and enable him to show us areas we need to surrender. That hard times are not meant to make us weak, and destroy us. The hard times meant to make us strong. So point number two, point number two, what makes a man strong? Point number two, what makes a man strong? A key litmus test to success for all children in this world, irregardless of skin color, age, race, gender, is if they have a father present in the home. The key litmus test for success, the number one identifica identification point for a successful life is a father in the home. I have some statistics for us all. 85% of all youth age prisoners come from fatherless homes, 20 times the average. Girls are seven times more likely to get pregnant as a teenager in homes without a father. 71% of all high school dropouts come from fatherless homes, nine times the average. Young men who don't have a father in their homes are 280% more likely to end up dealing drugs and illegally carrying guns than those with fathers. And the saddest one, is that 63% of all youth suicides come from homes without a father. 
Friends, I gotta tell you, a father simply being around is one of the greatest strengths for any person in this world. The world is in a strong man crisis, but if I'm being honest, this world is in a fatherhood crisis. If we want strong men, then we need stable fathers. That's what it comes down to. I have a quote for us all that might shock you when we get to the end, but of all the rocks upon which we build our lives, we're reminded today that family is the most important. And we're called to recognize and honor how critical every father is to that foundation. But if we're honest with ourselves, we'll admit that too many fathers are also missing. Missing from too many lives and too many homes. And the foundations of our community are weaker because of it. That quote was said by former President Barack Obama when he was campaigning for presidency in 2008. Friends, I gotta tell you, even the most worldly people once knew of the need for fathers. But now it seeks to replace them with the state, to demasculate them and to incentivize pleasure without responsibility. Even the world knew of how important fathers were, so it's no surprise that the world now is attacking fathers and is attacking men. Friends, this is a coordinated effort. And see, the father's job in the house is to provide confidence, assurance, and empowerment to those in the house. Growing up, I never had to worry about what to eat. I never had to worry about if I could accomplish what I put my mind to. I never had to worry about if my dad was on my side. Since my dad was present in my life, all those things came naturally to me. I'll never forget uh, when I had just moved to this country, 2006, it was my second year ever doing Little League Baseball. My dad was obsessed with Little League Baseball. There's nothing like it in Australia. You know, I, and I remember 2006, I'd finally gone up from the machine pitch to kid pitch, and I practically felt like I was in the majors. I had my little uniform on. I was like, step aside, mom. I'm a professional. So we were going, and we're playing, and my team had managed to make it to the championship game. Like, first time in the playoffs, championship game. My dad had been to all my games, but he was actually speaking at a church in Texas on the day of my championship game, and I was so crushed. And my game started at 12, and his flight landed at 1. And he was like, buddy, I'm so sorry. I'm going to do whatever I can to be there. And I was like, dad, don't worry about it. You know, you got to provide for the family. You've been to all my games. I know you love me. Don't even worry about it. And so, you know, Little League games were only six innings long or maybe seven if there was extra innings. And this was a back and forth game in the championship. We scored first, then they scored, then we scored, then they scored. And then we went to extra innings. And they scored in the top of the inning. So we were down by one run. We had a runner on second base and third base. And I'm up to bat. And I take the first pitch strike. And I'm like, this isn't going to end good, is it? I was like, this is not the way I wanted this to end. Second pitch, I fouled off that strike too. For those of you who follow baseball, two strikes. And I remember, I was like, I mean, I was a pretty weird kid growing up. I would just see someone do something and just do the same. So I'd watch the Padres, and they had some Catholic players, I guess, and, you know, they'd kind of stand off and do one of these things. And I didn't know what that meant. But I knew if I wanted to be good, I had to do it. So two strikes, I'm at time, up, time. My mom was like, what the heck is this kid doing? I was like this. I was like, God, I'm going to need you right now. I'm going to need you. And I step up to bat, and out of nowhere, I see this blonde man running at warp speed like a fat kid who there's like a free all-you-can-eat donut store. He's just booking it. I was like, what the? I was like, oh my gosh, it's my dad. My dad had raced from the airport to make it to my championship game, and I'll never forget, it was either God, like God must have sent this in my head. When I saw him at my game, even with two strikes on me, I said, in my head, I'm gonna win this game right here. And the, uh, the kid threw the pitch, inside pitch, I turned on it, line drive over shortstop, we got two runs. I feel like the king of the universe. I'm running down to first, like, yeah. <laughs> My dad had like illegally gone onto the field. He didn't know laws. He's from Australia. He didn't know he was, he's on the field. He's bawling. And I'm like, dad, we just won. Why are you crying? You're ruining the mood. I look at my mom. She's crying. She doesn't know what's going on. She knows nothing about American sports. And I was like, this is a time for rejoicing. But I'll never forget the moment I saw my dad was the moment I realized I really could do this. 
I had no idea where that came from, but the moment I saw him, I had assurance that I could accomplish what was in front of me. I thought, although it was a hard time, two strikes, all the pressure, it was a hard time. I knew there was some other strength I could draw from. You see, I felt assurance that it didn't matter how many strikes around me, I could succeed. You see, the devil knows that when he removes the, the father, he cripples the entire house. So many of my friends growing up that I, that I talked to who didn't have fathers around always had to battle and wrestle with the feeling of not being good enough, of not being worthy for a life, of not being able to deliver in hard circumstances. See, when there's no father present in homes, confidence and self-esteem are the first things to go. My, my dad would tell me a story often when I was a kid, back when he was a youth pastor in Auckland, New Zealand. That's where I was born, Auckland, New Zealand. And it was one of the, you know, New Zealand is a very pretty country, but it's not like well off. There's a lot of poverty there. And I was born in Auckland, New Zealand, which was the fatherless capital of New Zealand and the child molestation capital of New Zealand, a very rough part of the country. That's why I was born, I was born in the hood. You know how it is. So I was born there. My dad reminds me of a story where there was a, um, a man in the church who owned an equivalent of what would be like a Macy's, like a department store. And he was looking for a manager to run the whole store, and it was very big. So he was going to start off the salary with 70000 New Zealand dollars, which was a lot of money back in the 90s, especially in New Zealand. But for two months, he had had zero people even apply. So he bumped it up to 75,000, still zero people. He bumped it up to 80,000. He's like, I can't even afford this, but I can't live how I am now. I need somebody, 80,000, and nobody was applying. So he thought, I must have sin in my life. That must be what it is. There's sin in my life that's preventing me from reaching this goal. And so he went down at the church altar, asked the pastor, can you please pray for me? I really feel like there's sin in my life that's preventing God from moving. And the pastor kind of talked to him. He said, well, tell me your situation. And he told him the whole thing, 70,000, 75,000, 80,000. No one's even applying. There must be a spiritual block. And he said, do you know what city you're in? He was like, Auckland, the capital of New Zealand. He was like, do you know what type of people are in Auckland? And he, he rattled it off. Yeah, a lot of sex abuse, abuse victims, fatherless homes. And I forget, my dad would share the story that the pastor told this businessman, the reason why no one's applying for an $80,000 job is because no one feels worthy to make that much money in this country. And they told him, if you would lower the price to $50,000, you'd be swarmed with interest. That business manager was like, okay, you're nuts. He walked away. For two more months, not a single one. This guy was at the end of his rope. He said, I will finally just do what this guy said. He lowered the amount to $50,000. And immediately within two days, he had 16 people apply for that job. And he realized that some people put a ceiling on their lives because they never thought they were worthy. Friends, I gotta ask the question, how many of us in here are living a $50,000 life when we were made for so much more? But because there's a wound. Oh, thank you, yeah. And that's a thought-provoking question. How many of us in here are living a $50,000 life when God said, no, 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 you're capable of so much more? but it comes when you can connect with the Father. You see, the reason why the devil seeks to take out the literal earthly father is so their people won't connect with their heavenly father. When we connect with our heavenly father, we won't look at life the same. We're no longer afraid of the devil, but the devil becomes afraid of us. Not because of the strength of us, but the strength of our father in heaven. Pastor Phil Pringle would always say, the devil fears even the weakest Christian when he prays. Not because of the strength of the prayer, but the strength of the God whom that Christian prays to. Dream City Church, I believe. That's why I believe in men's prayer every Tuesday. It doesn't matter how you come in. When you shoot that prayer up to heaven, it doesn't go by your strength. You're playing with the strong man now. You see, God is our God, but he wants to be more than our God. He wants to be our father. 
Far too often we only associate God as the grand creator in the sky who's his supreme being and we're like vapor before him. And that's true. God could wipe me out with one breath. But that's not how he wants us to live. In Hosea 2.16, he says, it will come about in that day, declares the Lord, that you will call me Ishi and no longer call me Bali. Ishi translates to husband, family, protector, father. And Bali, from where we get Baal, translates to master. Someone that you serve that doesn't serve you. What's crazy is that God, who has every right to be your master, said, no, 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 no. I want to be your father. Do you view God that way? I'll never forget. It took me probably till a couple years ago till I really kind of grabbed a hold of this theological principle. I would always pray to God before a big youth night, God, I'm nothing more than a humble servant. God, I'm just a broken vessel. Just use me. I'm obedient, God. Just whatever you want to do, my life is worth nothing to you, but God, I'm just going to devote it all to you. And God like rebuked me in that moment. He's like, Ash, why do you sound like such a loser? And I was like, because when I'm weak, you're strong. I was like, that's, that's what I thought. You know, my voice got all high. I was like defensive. I was like, what the heck? Why are you being so mean? And he was like, I've redeemed you. Yes, your sins left a scarlet stain, but did you know I made them white again as if you'd never sinned? Yes, you are a broken pot, but did you know I've made it fully whole as if there were no breaks in the first place? He said, you have a fractured view of God. I am not just the almighty smiter in the sky. I'm your father in heaven who loves you and who wants to bless you. Church, do we have that view of God this morning? That he's not the almighty smiter in the sky, but he's our father who wants to rejoice when we do good. You see, the more I've depended on my Father in heaven, the stronger I've become. That leads me to point number three. In fact, that the keys come up. Point number three, as we close, just a few more minutes. Point number three. The only thing God lacks. And before you get your theological pitchforks out, let me explain this. The only thing God lacks, the only thing God lacks. A verse that's been tattooed on my heart in recent years is found in the book of Ezekiel, one of the major prophets. Ezekiel 22.30 reads, I searched for a man among them who would build up the wall and stand in the gap before me, before the land, so that I would not destroy the city. But I found no one. The saddest part of this story is that God didn't want to destroy the city. In fact, it was his perfect will that the city was saved. But because there was no man with whom he could work through, the city was destroyed. That because there was no man who was willing to stand in the face of the enemy, that city was destroyed. Nowhere did God say, I want to destroy the city. I want to save that city. But is there a man? But is there a woman who will stand up? Friends, I got to tell you, Jesus and God can never run out of power. They can never run out of truth, never run out of grace, never run out of mercy, never run out of knowledge. The one thing God can ever run out of in this entire universe is a man, is a woman who's willing to stand in the gap. The only thing God lacks is a strong man who's willing to stand up. See, if I'm being honest, what makes a country strong, what makes a country great again, what makes hard times good times is not a man who is strong, but a man who is strong in God. We got a lot of men who can see the same parallels as Elisha did 2,000 years ago where the spirit of Baal is rampant, Jezebel is everywhere, wickedness is going all around, there's famines, there's sicknesses, there's horrible things. And Elisha, 2,000 years ago, cried out, where is the God of Elijah? There's all these problems. 
Where's the answer? God, you one time did it. Where are you? You've fallen asleep. And a lot of people want a revival. I'm so glad Pastor Ryan and the team sung that song. Come awaken your people. God of revival. A lot of people want a revival. And they're crying out, where is the God of Elijah? But church, if I'm being honest, we got the wrong battle cry. We need to be crying out, where are the Elijahs of God? Where are the Elijahs of God, Dream City Church? Where are the Elijahs of God? Where are the people who are willing to wake up early like Charles Spurgeon? Charles Spurgeon made it his mission to be the first person to awake in his town so he could pray over the city. He said, if I want to win this city, i got to pray over it. Where are the men who pray? Where are the men who will look at the face of sickness and disease and say, you have no rights over my family. You have no rights over these people. Where are the Elijahs of God who can go toe-to-toe with the forces of darkness? Who have faith that can say there will be neither rain nor dew except by my word? Who have faith that God can raise the son of a widow? Where is the man or where is the woman whom God can make himself strong through? Whom God can use to strengthen others? Where are the ones who build the kingdom of God? That's who we are. We build the kingdom of God. And you do it by just obeying God. To close, I want to just tell this story. Um, this past year, my dad's men's conference called the Merge uh, Men's Conference. It's, it's powerful. We're going to be taking a group of guys there this year. Um, they do a thing at the end called the Rite of Passage. It's like a thing they have all the 12-year-olds to 18-year-olds run, and it's kind of like to show them how life is. You know, they got obstacles to climb. They got, you know, barbed wire things they climb under like the military. They have all these big dudes with football pads that are like knock people over and it's designed that life will be hard, but you keep going. You get knocked down, but you get back up again. It's a mile long race. You know, kids are usually crying by the end. Dads are usually crying as they, you know, give medals to their sons. And one year my dad was watching it and, you know, my dad, like the football player in him loves watching the kids get smacked. And then the dad in him is like, no, go easy on him. And so there was this group of 10 kids that he watched and they were all just getting pummeled. Like they were like 13. They're just getting owned. <laughs> it was like funny for one sec, but nine of the kids of the 10 would get up right away and just, just keep going. One of the kids, after time and time again of being knocked down, my dad said that by the sixth time, he just stayed down. He didn't want to get up. And my dad said, God, what is this? Is he just, is he just weak? Does he just not have the muscles? And God told my dad, I want you to look around and see why the nine kids are getting up. And every time one of those nine kids was on the ground, their dad's voice was calling out to him saying, you can keep going. Son, it's okay, just get up. Son, it's okay, you got this. Son, it's okay, life might hit you down, but you can get up again. Nine of them had their dad's voice, but there was one who didn't have a dad calling out to him. My dad had found out that this boy, his name was Michael, didn't know his dad. His dad had left him when he was born. And his mom had saved enough money to take him to a merge conference, knowing it's what he needed. He didn't have a man's voice telling him he was worth it, telling him he could keep going and telling him he could accomplish it. So my dad and some of the other men out there was like, what's this boy's name? They found out it was Michael. And when he was on the ground, they would say, Michael, you got this. Come on, Michael, keep going. Michael, we believe in you. Michael, you have strength. You have potential. You have something to keep fighting for. Michael, get up. And Michael was looking around. He's like, what? You believe in me? And he got up and he got got knocked down again. But my dad was right there. Son, you can keep going. And by the time Michael finished, my dad ran up there and he's crying. He put the little medal around and said, son, I'm so proud of you. And at that moment, my dad understood. Oh yeah, please give a big round of applause. At that moment, my dad understood that fatherhood transcends biology. Dream City Church, I gotta tell you, you don't have to be someone's father to be their daddy. And if you didn't have a father, that means you don't have a daddy in heaven. Oh, Dream City Church, come on. Dream City Church, come on. 
How can I tell you, God's looking for a strong man. A man like Elijah, who when the world said, back, back in the time of Elijah, there was literally, to get real, there was a homosexual problem in the church. Outside of all the churches, there were gay male prostitutes who loitered outside the church. There was a homosexual problem in the church. But what Elijah, he stood face to face with that. And he said, I know what you're saying is normal, but that's not normal. Church, God needs a strong man who's willing to stand in the gap of the city and say, I know what the world is telling me is normal, but to be honest, I'm fed up with what the world is telling me is normal. God, bring me a new normal. Bring me a new normal, God. But that starts when your heart is aligned with the source of it all, the source of consistency. Church, I've got to tell you, God is looking for a strong man. And he already sent one. And his name is Jesus Christ, who was willing to do a strong thing and die the death of a sinner he didn't deserve. Paul says very few people would die the death of an innocent person. To die the death of a guilty person is unheard of. But Jesus had enough strength to say, not my will, but thy will be done. Stream City Church, if I could have everybody bow their heads and close their eyes. Bow your heads and close your eyes. There's, there's two appeals I want to make this morning. The first one is for those and you feel like you're far away from God. Perhaps you've never invited God to be your Lord and Savior. Perhaps you once walked with God, but now you're far away from Him. And you're saying, Pastor Ash, if you could just pray that I might be reconciled to Him, I want to turn away from my sin. I realize that I need help from a source above me, and that's God. Just a moment between you and God, with every head bowed and every eye closed, on the count of three, lift up a hand so I can pray for you. One, two, three. Lift up those hands all through this place. Wow, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you, 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 thank you. Man, hands going up everywhere. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you in the balcony. I see that hand. Thank you right there. And put those hands down. And before we pray the prayer of repentance, the second one is, is for those of us in here, I felt the Lord impress upon me in the first service that some of us in here may have had what's called the father's wound. Maybe our dads weren't present at all. Maybe when they were, it was actually a negative effect. They were so violent. They were so cruel. They never said those Three words, eight letters, I love you. And God's telling me that it's okay to have wounds. Jesus has wounds in his hands, but they're now his greatest source of motivation for you and I. If you have a father's wound this morning and you want me to pray with you that God will meet those needs with every head bowed and every eye closed, a moment to surrender the ego, nobody's looking. If that's you this morning, man or woman, lift up a hand so I can pray for you on the count of three. One, two, three, lift up those hands. Thank you right there. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Man, hands going up everywhere. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. You may not have had a father, but you're gonna have a daddy. If I could have everybody repeat after me, we're gonna go over the, the prayer of repentance and join those who gave their lives to Christ. And then we're gonna make a big declaratory prayer for those to receive healing. If everybody could repeat after me, say, Dear Heavenly Father. Everybody say, Dear Heavenly Father. Thank you for sending a strong man Jesus Christ, to die on a cross for my sins. Lord Jesus, today, I choose to love you. I choose to serve you all the days of my life. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Now, please keep your heads bowed. Keep your heads bowed. Right now, if that was you this morning, you said, Pastor Rush, that's me. I had a dad who wasn't present in my life, or I had a dad who, when he was, it was just negative. Could you please pray that I might have that wound healed by the love of God? If that's not you this morning, just, just extend a hand outward. And if that is you this morning, just extend your palms upwards toward heaven to receive this and join me in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, God, I thank you that you will make yourself known 
to these people in this church and even those outside of this church, God. Holy Spirit, you're not bound inside of these walls, but you're a limitless God. I pray right now that all the wounds, all the traumas, all the mistakes that were made by a man before them shall not linger. It shall not have any, any place, any hold inside the minds of the men and women here, God. Allow them to be fathers, allow them to be mothers, allow them to be parents that they never thought they had, but they have for you in heaven, God. I pray right now that those wounds begin to be healed. They no longer see them as trauma, no longer see them as mistakes, but just as Jesus has wounds in his hands that are reminders of the mission being accomplished of God. That salvation is brought forth into a whole generation of people. God, that these wounds can be used to bless the kingdom of God. Holy Spirit, we love you and praise you. In Jesus' name, everybody said, Amen. Thank you, Dream City Church.